Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every day, decisions are made across Maine that impact our environment, and Mainers play a crucial role as we speak up for climate action, the clear air, clear water, and open spaces that we all love. Come sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories that you need to know, what lies ahead, and hear what you can do about it. Thanks for listening as we share our view from the front lines. Well, Maine finally got some serious snow over the past weekend. And besides shoveling or snowblowing, I hope you got out there to enjoy it. Uh, One of the most thrilling winter adventures I've had in a long time came just before the storm when I got to skate up the Royal River, which like many rivers uh, and streams and lakes were iced over with perfect skating conditions. It was a really wonderful community atmosphere and uh, just so fun to experience the river from that new perspective. Uh, I'm Colin Durant, NRCM's Advocacy Communications Director. And then, and in this episode, we're gonna talk about one of NRCM's priorities this year, Maine's Ecological Reserves. Uh, We're really excited. Our special guest, Dr. Uh, Andrew Barton, recently wrote in the Lewiston Sun Journal Uh, while talking about ecological reserves. These places might not be the most well-known public lands in Maine, but they are among the most important. And that's why NRCM's Forest and Wildlife Director, Melanie Sturm, is working with our partners uh, in urging lawmakers to pass LD 736 that would allow the state to create more ecological reserves. That bill received a hearing in late January before the legislature's Agriculture, Conservation and Forestry Committee. Uh, Melanie is here with me today. Welcome, Melanie. Hi, Colin. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, we're really happy to be joined by University of Maine at Farmington forest ecologist and professor of biology, uh, Dr. Drew Barton. Uh, Drew serves on the state's Ecological Reserve Scientific Advisory Committee and is going to help us better understand the value that these public lands provide to Mainers. Thanks for joining us, Drew. Hey, Melanie and Colin. Um, It's an honor to be here. Pleasure. Great. Well, before we get started, like we do every episode, I just want to highlight some of the news we've been paying attention to over the past few weeks, talking about public lands. Five new Land for Maine's future projects were announced uh, by the Mills administration. These new public lands are a direct result of the infusion of new funding that was secured uh, last year with the help of NRCM and others. Also, a new study from researchers, I believe at Stanford, that received uh, widespread attention and resulted in a Portland Press Herald editorial, emphasized the negative health impacts of gas stoves and cook ranges. Uh, As somebody who has a gas stove, it's it's always alarming to read the results of these studies and how much gas stoves impact indoor air quality. Of course, it's another example of why electrifying our homes and powering them with clean energy is so important. And third, uh, we learned that Hydro-Quebec has stopped construction of uh, the transmission line in Canada that would have connected to the CMP corridor. That's, of course, another sign that this project is facing serious problems in light of last November's vote and the several legal challenges it faces. Okay, now let's switch gears and talk about ecological reserves. Uh, Drew, I thought I'd start by asking you to give us just a high-level review of the history of the ecological reserve system in Maine and where it stands now. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Um, So this was stimulated in the late 90s by the recognition that 
um, that the whole kind of suite of natural ecosystems in Maine weren't protected, that there were glaring examples that weren't protected on reserved land. These are places where there's no resource extraction. So um, legislation was passed in the year 2000 to set up an ecological reserve system on Maine public reserve lands. So that's managed by the Bureau of Parks and Lands. And the idea of that was to set this up on some lands that the Bureau already was managing and that the people of Maine already owned, um, but with some limits. So in that original legislation, there was a limit of 100,000 acres and a couple of other limits. I won't go into details on those right now. So, but there was a limit of about 100,000 acres or so. Now, just very, very briefly, I just wanna read a few things that I pulled off of the, the legis legislation itself. So here were the purposes of those lands to maintain one or more natural community types or native ecosystem types in a natural condition and range of variation to contribute to the protection of Maine's biological diversity. So there is, let's get examples that are protected of all the different kinds of natural communities. And a second um, kind of uh, uh, specification for how to manage these lands and how to choose them was to use these lands as a benchmark against which biological and environmental change may be measured as a site for ongoing scientific research and long-term environmental monitoring. And finally, to protect sufficient habitat for those species whose habitat needs are unlikely to be met on man lands managed for other purposes. So already you kind of see, you know, why these places are important. And I think I'll have a chance maybe to talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. Now, one of the things that's happened is that um, we're bumping up against those limits. There's something like, 17 preserves, I think right now. Um, it is interesting, people don't really seem to, people know about the, the individual preserves. I mean, a lot of people know about Bigelow and Mount Abraham or Mount Abram as it's generally called up in Western Maine where I live and Cutler and on and on. People know about those, but they don't know about this whole ecological reserve system, which is really an awesome component of the public lands that the people of Maine um, so, you know, as of now, I don't know the exact acreage, but there's something like 96,000, somewhere in there, uh, in 17 preserves across the state. Interestingly, Southern Maine has pretty much nothing. There is, there's public lands down there, but no ecological reserve. So we're bumping up against that limit. And I think there's broad recognition that there are still some missing pieces. A report just came out from the Maine uh, natural areas group, and it sort of identified that, yeah, there are still some ecosystem types that aren't represented on those lands, and we really need to kind of increase the limit some. So LD736 aims to do that, aims to change that upper limit very in a very modest way, really, in a very reasonable way that would allow adding a small amount of acreage I don't know what, it, it may be up to 108,000, 110,000 acres or something like that. And in a way that doesn't really affect timber harvesting on these public reserve, on public reserve lands in general. Um, uh, and it doesn't really won't affect the financing for the Bureau of Parks and Lands. So that's kind of a really quick summary. Um, you all feel free to add anything in that I might've left out about that. No, that was perfect and really helpful. And, and you, you know, when you were sort of, quoting the legislation you talked about 
the, um, the benefit uh, of these lands for scientific research. And so, you know, that's what I want to dig into next, you know, as a biologist, forest ecologist, can you speak a little bit more about why these ecological reserves are, are so important? What, what value do they provide? What insights do they provide to us in future generations? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'll do a little bit of repetition here because I think these, you know, the reasons for having lands like this in general are, are worth repeating and worth emphasizing. So um, honestly, I could go on for a long time about this, but I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, one, of the, yeah, one of the most important principles in conservation in general is to save all the pieces, save all the pieces of nature. And what that means is to save, protect all the species that occur in an area like Maine and to save all of and protect all of the different types of ecosystems. These are natural ecosystems that support that whole range of species. So the original legislation was a response to this, to a concern that we weren't doing that, that there were many glaring examples of natural community types and habitats that were important for a bunch of species that just weren't protected. Um, and so these mature ecosystems, again, just to emphasize this, they provide key habitat, not for all species, but there are a range of species that this is really key habitat for. And one of the other things that's, that wasn't really anticipated, I think, in the original leg legislation is that uh, scientific research is beginning to reveal that these older, mature habitats, so think about like an old growth forest, for example, these are turning out to be really key buffers for many sensitive species against higher temperatures. And that's really important in a northern place like Maine. So many of the species that live here are not that well adapted to really high temperatures or to dry conditions. And so these older, more mature habitats are really turning out to be really important as a buffer um, as temperatures rise. A second key reason that's mentioned in the legislation is, uh, is for research. So this is a natural laboratory for research, um, kind of in the sense that these are benchmarks. These are, you know, gives us a, a way to explore how does nature operate without the intervention, at least at a, at a large level, the intervention of humans through, you know, widespread uh, harvesting or something like that. Uh, now, some of this research is simply to better understand why nature is the way it is and how nature works, but some of it is directly applicable to management, including forestry as well. So research is a really important thing that was recognized from the very beginning and continues to be extremely important. One of the really fun things about being on the uh, science advisory board is that any proposals to do research on these lands, and there are a lot actually, um, it, it's really interesting seeing what people are doing. And there's a wide range of things, all the way from research on bog lemmings and some other small mammals and all kinds of things. So it's just some geological work as well. So I actually get to sort of see what's going on in there. Um, I could go on and on, but let me Very just cool. two more things real briefly. Yeah. Another is climate change. Um, these, you know, we know that the lands on the, in these ecological reserves that they store 30% more 
carbon than on other lands in the state of Maine. So these are really important places where carbon is stored and will continue to be stored and sequestered into the future. Uh, finally, th this is a real, you know, sort of personal thing. I love hiking in these kinds of places. I mean, these are complex ecosystems. <laughs> and just visually and aesthetically, they're wonderful places uh, to be. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a quick summary of why they're so important. That's really great. And you mentioned um, the old, old, old growth forests in particular. I'm wondering if you have any other examples of sort of really special habitats, mm. habitat types that are protected by uh, the state's ecological reserves. Yeah, actually, I, I've kind of been thinking about this a little bit. You know, I, I love to hike in all kinds of places. And um, so, so one preserve that I think may be a little surprising in terms of what it protects. You might not think, oh, these are protected also, is uh, Mount Abraham, or Mount Abram, again, as pronounced in Western Maine. Um, so Mount Abraham is a pretty high mountain, uh, very rugged, great place to hike, but it also prote protects some unusual natural communities that are not found in very many place places in Maine. One really good example is, these are like alpine communities, way up at the top, hmm. um, not really forested, except by scrubby little little trees that can, you know, just kind of hanging on to life up there. So a really good example. And I don't want to go too deep into the woods on this, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but there's one called the, uh, uh, well, the common name is the windswept alpine ridge. And the high elevations of Mount Abraham is full of that kind of habitat. Another one is mm -hmm. spruce for Krumholtz. Krumholtz is a German word for stunted trees. And so it's this, you can see that on a few other really high mountains, but there's a lot of that on top of Mount Abraham. So that just gives you an idea of these alpine ecosystems that are really unusual, really rare in Maine. And they're protected in that ecological reserve on Mount Abraham. So lots of other examples, but those are ones I like in particular. I, I love that. And I haven't hiked there. So I'm going to add that to the bucket list. Um, thanks so much for that overview and sort of digging into the specifics. I wanted to bring Melanie in right now to speak a little bit more about why NRCM is focused on expanding the ecological reserve system, and in particular, why we're pushing so hard for LD uh, 736. Sure. As you've heard, ecological reserves are important for a variety of reasons, which Drew laid out really nicely. But under current law, there are caps on the number of acres the Bureau of Parks and Lands is permitted to designate as ecological reserves. And we know these size limits were the result of initial stakeholder negotiating when the original ecological reserves legislation was being considered in 2000 and the late 90s, um, as Drew said. However, it's been 22 years and it's clear the limits are arbitrary and no longer effective. In fact, they're actually confusing and needlessly preventing the Bureau from using science and its own discretion to create more reserves. LD 736 would remove these problematic limits, most of them anyway, at a time when climate change is worsening, the biodiversity crisis is accelerating, and now really is the time to give the Bureau the opportunity to adequately conserve means important natural feature, features and habitats and all the species they support. Well, 
it seems like a no-brainer to me, but you mentioned climate change and biodiversity. Can you can you just speak a little bit more about um, the the threats that are the, including those that are facing uh, Maine's ecosystems, Maine's environment, uh, and in particular why those threats reinforce reinforce why um, passing this bill is so important? Yeah, biodiversity loss and climate change are twin crises. They're global phenomenon. And I don't mean to sound alarmist, but if we're going to get serious about addressing them, now is the time. Um, regarding biodiversity, we're in the middle of a mass extinction and it directly affects Maine and the plant and animal life here. One in three species in our state is threatened by climate change or vulnerable to it and its impacts, including hundreds of bird species. Um, availability of good quality habitat is one of the top factors affecting species survival. And ecological reserves provide that habitat for numerous species that need mature forests, which are scarce in Maine. Um, climate change is challenging uh, the way we manage land and natural resources by, for example, causing more wildfires, intense storms, and drought. We need lands like ecological reserves that are more resilient to these sorts of disturbances. And those two issues alone aren't the only ones that are um, you know, causing harm to species or causing declines. Uh, things like fragmentation caused by development or roads um, and other sorts of uh, man-made disturbances can affect species um, and their migration and ability to find resources. But, um, those are the two big drivers. And LD736 opens the door to creating more ecological reserves. Great, thanks. And I mean, you mentioned, you know, development pressures. We're seeing, you know, real estate is hot in Maine. It was just, you know, as I've learned more about this issue, it's pretty striking to learn what um, Drew said earlier, that there's, you know, ecological reserves really aren't represented in Southern Maine. And that's obviously where, you know, there's some high development pressure. So uh, it, to me, that's just uh, such a great example why we need to act. Drew, I just wanted to turn to you to see if you wanted to chime in with anything uh, sort of along these lines, uh, you know, your, your sort of perspective on why now is the time for the state um, to grow its ecological reserve system. Yeah, sure. I was really privileged enough to be able to go to the UN Climate conference in uh, COP26 in Glasgow in, um, in November. And uh, I got some kind of, uh, you know, current summaries of where is the climate now? What do we know about this? And it's become so clear that climate change is not something that's just in our future, that it's really happening now. Um, and the next couple of decades are gonna be really critical, I think, for responding to that. We're figuring out ways to cut our emissions, for example, figuring out ways to use natural ecosystems like forests to take up more carbon from the air, but also to help species adapt to it. So I think, you know, now is the time to do that, uh, to anticipate some of these more serious climate changes in the future. Um, so that we don't wait until it's too late. So I would say now is the time for all of these sorts of actions. That's excellent. That's a great point to end on. I wanted to thank you both so much for this wonderful overview of ecological reserves. 
Also just wanted to note that NRCM worked with a Maine-based artist, Zoe Keller, to create some really stunning illustrations of seven of Maine's ecological reserves. Those illustrations are included in a special report we released on our website. So I encourage you to go to nrcm.org to check that out. You could also head over to our Instagram at NRCM environment where we uh, just sort of post, uh, posted them uh, over the past week. Uh, I did wanna end on a fun note. I know Drew, you mentioned one of your favorite places but uh, I don't know if you have another one. I'd love to hear from both of you about um, one of your favorite ecological reserves in Maine. I guess start with Drew, sorry, go. Yeah, great, thank you. Um, I, I love the Bigelow Range. So that's, it's near Sugarloaf mm -hmm. in uh, Carabasset Valley. And oh my God, it, it, it's amazing. It's got all kinds of hiking, including very challenging hiking. It's got some old forests in it, amazing views. Um, and it's really big. I mean, the range is over protected areas over 10,000 acres, something like that. Wow. Um, so I, I love that place. Nice. Melanie? That's what I was going to say. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, big, really big fan of Bigelow. Um, although I haven't been to all of the Bureau of Parks and Lands Ecological Reserves, but just to spread the love a little bit, I'll say that Dabuli up in Arista County is really fantastic, especially if you are a paddler, I'd highly recommend getting up there. And uh, Namakanta is on my list for this year. Awesome. Well, NRCM Rising member actually posted a great blog about that ecological reserve. So that's something to check out as well. I just want to thank you again, uh, Drew and Melanie, for joining us today. Um, NRCM's work on ecological reserves is part of our larger, longstanding campaign to protect North Woods, uh, conserve public lands, and protect the forests and wildlife that make Maine such a unique place to live, work, and explore and teach. Right, Drew? That's right. <laughs> um, we'll be, so we'll be keeping you, our listeners and supporters, updated as the bill to enhance Maine's ecological reserve system progresses through the legislative process. Thanks again, Drew and Melanie. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for including me. I appreciate it. Great. Uh, and thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. And uh, don't forget to, uh, sh if you like what you heard, Share with your friends, family, coworkers, people you met on the street, whoever. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and several other podcast listening apps. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of the Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work, visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NRCM Environment. <laughs>